0: Good morning. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church and it's my privilege to lead the team. I, I think Dan and Andrew looked cool enough, didn't you? Yeah, yeah you- You'd all go if you are in your 20s, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, uh, excellent. If you've got your Bibles, guess what book we're turning to this morning? Timothy. Yep, 1 Timothy. Well done. So, uh, turn to uh, 1 Timothy. We had a brilliant prayer meeting this morning. Absolutely great time of encountering God, of hearing uh, uh, God speak to us through contributions and through the prophetic. um, It was absolutely brilliant. And I feel really over the whole of this week of prayer that we have now finished, just so encouraged um, by the sense of God's presence and all he is calling us to do over this coming year. So you may be thinking, why one Timothy? Well, last year we looked at the Gospel of John. Um, I found it very encouraging and engaging as I prepared and preached my way through it. But one thing I noticed is because it's such a big book, we we sort of cherry-picked all the best bits out of it. We took all the easy passages, we missed out all the difficult ones. And uh, so we felt what we'd do is we'd go for a smaller book, one Timothy is only six chapters, and that's going to force us to do every bit of it. The easy bits and the difficult bits. And I feel for a church that's a good thing to do that we take the whole of Scripture, we don't shy away from the things that may be a bit more difficult to explain or maybe don't quite fit in with the culture that we live in, but we say, no, look, this is the whole of Scripture. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting and rebuking and and training people in righteousness and all the other things I've just merged into my quote. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the whole book. So I'm very much looking forward to it. There's there's some great subjects we're going to cover over the next six months. We're going to be looking at leadership, we're going to be looking at money, we're looking at sound doctrine, we're going to be looking at the role of men and women, we're going to be looking at purity, we're going to be looking at how younger men relate to older women and, and older women relate to younger women and all of that sort of stuff. Um, we're looking at how, how we interact with the poor and how we're to care for people who are in need. There, there's just so much good stuff in there. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, diving into this over the, coming, over the coming months. Before we do that though, I want to give you a bit of background stuff on 1 Timothy and, uh, and Ephesus and some various other things. If you've already read the first verse of chapter 1, You'll notice that the author is? Well done. So the author is the Apostle Paul. Some, some scholars more recently have called that into question, um, but I think that they're debating the obvious. Paul said, you know, the writer says it's Paul, um, and certainly throughout church history, um, that has been the understanding. The letter is written to Good, good, we're we're getting in the groove here there. so The the letter is written to um, a a man called Timothy, he was probably in his mid-thirties, and he was leading the church at Ephesus when he received this letter. Now, although it's addressed to Timothy, it's an open letter, so probably the church as a whole would have known what Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus. And the reason Paul wrote to Timothy is because he was planning to come to Ephesus but if he got delayed he wanted Timothy to know what he should be doing in his absence. The purpose of the letter was to command Timothy not to allow men to teach false doctrine. And so in Ephesus there were were some people who were teaching things that were contrary to the truth and Paul was charging Timothy, do not allow false teaching to happen in the church at Ephesus, to happen in the church that you are leading. And the sort of theme, the underlying thing that comes through in this book, and this is one of the things that excites me most of all, is that the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ leads to practical, visible change in the lives of those who believe it. So if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, although it's an internal thing and a private thing, it will produce practical and visible change in your life over time. False teaching doesn't do that, but the true gospel of Jesus Christ will bring about radical change. And, And I'm sure many of you would testify to that in your own lives, wouldn't you? Six of you have obviously been sitting under good doctrine, whereas the rest of you are not certain about. No, the, the Gospel brings about visible change. Amen. And it may not be obvious initially, but over time, you know people who have received Christ because their lives start to change. Now, Ephesus as a city was the most important city in the Roman province of Asia, Western Turkey. So don't think, when I say Asia, don't think of China and Japan and all of that. Think of the west part of Turkey, the sort of bump bit, you know, of Turkey. That's, that's where, um, in the Bible, they describe as Asia. It was a very important Roman province. It was um, a great commercial centre. It had a large harbour. It probably had a population of about 300,000 people. And it had a stadium that could take something between 20 and 25,000 people which obviously 2,000 years ago, that is some structure. So it's very similar maybe to a Brighton in size um, of our day. It also had real religious significance. It had importance for Rome. It was the centre of the emperor cult in Asia. So what happened was Julius Caesar, because they viewed their their leaders as gods in the Roman Empire, um, they had temples to various Um, emperors who lived in in Roman times. There was a temple to Julius Caesar and people like that. And it was also the centre of worship for Artemis, who was a virgin goddess, um, but it was also fused with a fertility cult. I don't quite know how that works, a virgin goddess and a fertility cult, but it all came together at Ephesus. Where is this letter placed? I'm going to need some volunteers, so you guys, because you're sat closest to me, well done for volunteering. Where, where is this letter placed? Now, hopefully this is just sort of background stuff, but it feeds in a little bit, you have growing in your Bible knowledge as we're going through it. Jesus died and was resurrected in about AD 33, Andrea. So, can you come and hold this up? So, around AD 33, Jesus died and was resurrected. In about AD 51, Dan, Paul first visited Ephesus. He was on a missionary journey right around the Mediterranean or the edge of the Mediterranean and he first arrived in Ephesus in about AD 51. So what's that? Just under 20 years after Jesus died, Paul got to Ephesus. He only stayed for about a day and he left Priscilla and Aquila there who got into the city, were preaching the gospel. They taught a man called Apollos who who then went on to do some great things in Corinth. But he only had a flying visit in AD 51. Genere. In AD 52, he came back. So a year later, he came back and he stayed for three years in Ephesus. So that was Paul and Timothy and Silas and people like that. And he he probably had... I can't see you guys over there now. Hello. No, no, leave, leave them up nice and high. He probably had... Actually, it's better for them. It's a blessing. So he probably had his most fruitful evangelistic um, church planting, church growing time when he was in Ephesus. And they actually it says in the book of Acts actually that the whole of Asia heard the Gospel while Paul was in Ephesus for that three year period. Well volunteered. Is it Tom? Tom, yes. Um, in AD 62, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. So the the book of Ephesians was written in about AD 62 and it's one of the highlights of the New Testament. If you've ever read it, there's some amazing truth packed in there about the Gospel and everything that we have received in Jesus Christ. In AD 64, Brian, do you want a chair? No. In AD 64, it's all right, we bully people in this church. So, in in AD AD 64, Paul wrote the first letter to Timothy. And uh, he was at Ephesus at the time. And it's interesting that in in AD 52, Paul was there laying amazing foundations in that church. So, AD 52 is there. Ten years later, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians with some of the most profound truth of the Gospel contained within it. But two years later, he needed to write a letter to the leader of the church, Timothy, to stop false teaching going on. And how quickly things can change in church life. In AD 66, Santino, the second letter was written to Timothy, so 2 Timothy was written a couple of years later. This is positioned just after Acts 28, so if you're a Bible, if you know your Bible well, just after Paul's first imprisonment he was released from prison probably and wrote that. This probably took place during Paul's second imprisonment and in AD 67 Paul was martyred in Rome. So hopefully this just gives you a bit of a feel for, for, for it and what happened at Ephesus through that time. Thank you guys so much for your help. That's brilliant. Just pop them down on the floor. And a special thanks to you, Brian. <laughs> Let's uh, have a look at verse 1. Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I I, I ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would uh, fill me afresh of your spirit that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that this will be useful, helpful to us. We would grow, Lord, as we listen to it. it. Be with us in it, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here we find Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, a son. Now, Timothy isn't a biological son, he's a spiritual son. Paul, In other words, Paul may, maybe Timothy responded to the Gospel under Paul's ministry, right back when he first visited Timothy. We don't quite know that, but what we do know is, from a teenager, when Timothy first started to follow Paul, right the way through to Timothy now in his mid-thirties, Paul had been a big influence on Timothy's life. And I want to start, and I don't know quite how far we're going to get through this morning, I just want to start by looking at Paul, an apostle. I want us to look at what is an apostle, what do they do, do they have any relevance or significance for us as a church today? Because there is a lot of different stuff out there, and I want to just bring, a, bring us back to a biblical perspective um, on this theme. So as I mentioned, the term apostle can cause confusion, and it's been used in many different. Well, it can. It's been used in various ways, um, even in the Bible. Apostle, at its most basic sense, um, means a sent one or a messenger. It is to be sent. It is to be a messenger. It is to declare a message. So, what does the Bible say about apostles? Well, we know that the twelve disciples were apostles. In Matthew 10, verse 2 it, 2, it says this, these are the names of the twelve apostles. And then it goes, um, Matthew, I was going to say the Gospels, Peter, James, John, and all the others. <laughs> I do know all the names in order, of course. I'm not just stopping at that point because I don't know. But these, these men were appointed by Christ. They had followed him. They had performed miracles in their own right, they had sat under amazing teaching. They were the founding fathers of the early church. So these, these men, apostles, had a distinct role. Some of them wrote scripture, some of them wrote this, this book that we stand on, the authoritative Word of God, that we build our lives on. Even 2,000 years later, we're building our lives on what this Bible is, the Word of God. So these men had a distinct role. But we also find that Paul, who wrote the letter to Timothy, he was also an apostle. He encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He was appointed as an apostle by Christ himself. He wrote scripture. Much of the New Testament, many of the New Testament epistles, were written by Paul. And so although he wasn't one of the twelve, he was clearly identified um, alongside the twelve as someone with an apostolic anointing, someone with an apostolic gift. Now, some really good scholars would say, and that's pretty much where it stopped, that the apostles were needed then because we didn't have scripture. They had a distinct and a unique role and there is no one today who could ever measure up to that anyway, so we don't have apostles today. And yet, when we read the Bible or we continue to read the Bible, we find in Acts 14, verse 14, it says that there was a man called Barnabas, and he was an apostle and we have no proof that Jesus appointed him for that task. We have, no, we have no understanding that he wrote scripture. He possibly saw the risen Christ. He might have been one of the 500 that saw Christ raised from the dead. But there were other men who were de- designated as apostles and we, don't, we have no proof that they fit the category of the original twelve or Paul himself. In Ephesians chapter 4, if, you've got, if you have got your Bibles, do turn to this. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So God has appointed some men for this role. Why? There's a purpose to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what we see here, Paul writing the letter to the church at Ephesus, is actually God has given some of these ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Why has he given them? to prepare God's people for works of service. And there's a sense of an ongoing call, there's a sense of an ongoing role that for churches to be healthy, we need to receive these ministries. And as a church over many years now, we've believed that actually the role of apostle didn't, didn't die out, in New Testament times, but actually it continues now. The men that we call apostles don't have the same weight or authority as the New Testament apostles, but there is a distinct role for them to fulfil. And if we're to achieve everything that we we can achieve as a church, we need anointed, spirit-filled apostles to play their part in our church life if we're to um, go to a full measure of maturity to, to do all that God is calling us to do, along with evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now this is such an important truth for us to grasp because it was apostolic gifting that propelled the Gospel around the Roman Empire. So if you think, if you read the book of Acts and think, why was the Gospel so successful? Why were so many churches planted? Why, why were so many lives transformed by the power of the Gospel? The thing that will ring true time and time and time again is that it was apostolic advance that took the Gospel from one city to the next. You find it whether it's with Peter or whether you find it with Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy and uh, Titus, Luke, Barnabas. That, that, it, was, it was men like this that were key to gospel advance. It was apostolic gifting that broke open cities. I've got nothing against other initiatives. Some other things are very, very good. I'm absolutely delighted we've got the, um, the church meeting this afternoon. I think it's great. And I want to encourage as many of you to go to it as possible. But actually what we find here in the New Testament, to see cities transformed and towns radically affected by the gospel, what did they do? Well, it was apostolic teams planting healthy churches that transform cities and towns. And what's going to make the biggest difference in Hastings and Bex Hill and the surrounding towns and villages, I believe, is loads of healthy churches under godly leadership preaching the word of God, making disciples, transforming the communities they come in contact with. Now we need other stuff as well, that can be really, really helpful. But if you ask me, you cut me at the core, what's the most important thing? Healthy churches. Preaching the gospel, seeing lives transformed. Amen? Amen. That's what we need. Now as a church, we believe that apostolic gifting exists, to, to, exists today. And they had four distinct roles. And and you may wonder, why, Paul, are you labouring this whole apostolic thing? Well, bear with me just for a few more moments and we'll get on to it. They had four distinct roles. The first one is this. The apostolic lays good foundations in churches. They lay solid and sound doctrinal beliefs, practices and structures. Now, we have good foundations as a church, because we've had apostolic input over the past. We've had good apostolic input. But as churches grow and develop, we still need good apostolic input. We need to continue to make sure that we are building on the true foundations of the Gospel. We need to continue to build well as God has called us to build and we need apostolic gifting to help us to do that. Not only that, we also find that as part of the foundation laying in churches, apostles would appoint elders. And over the last year, one of our prayer targets has been that we would see a plurality of eldership here. Isn't that right? Well, one of the things actually that slowed us up a little bit is is the fact that we haven't had a clarity of apostolic oversight over us. And so that's one of the things. So as we look into the future... That's something that we will rectify, that will help us to appoint elders. We find that in places like 1 Corinthians 3 and various other places. Not only does the apostolic lay good foundations in churches, they also strengthen and care for local churches. And all this is based on relationship, not on structure. So it's not that you get an appointed an apostle. Kings Hastings, you know, who are you looking to? Well, it's this guy at head office in London. He's your apostle now. He's the one that we relate to. No, it's built on relationship. If you read the end of um, Romans, Romans chapter 15, I think it is, you'll find Paul lists a whole load of names at the end. He knew loads of people by name. He knew the church at Rome. He knew the church um, at Ephesus. He knew the church at Colossae. He didn't just know the leaders or the elders, but actually he knew many people in the church. And so it's so important that we get good ongoing care based on relationship. Not only that, we also find that the apostolic emphasises the work of the Spirit. A church is so important. So important that we make space for the Holy Spirit. So easy in busy lives, busy church lives, that we're always rushing from the one one thing to the next. Community groups, community group leaders, let me encourage you in all the mission, in all the going out, which I want to commend you for, be men and women of the Spirit. Invite him to come. Give him space in your lives, give him space in your diaries. This morning's prayer meeting was I felt significant. Not because of Adrian's leadership or Steve's leadership, although they did really well, but it's actually because the Holy Spirit prompted people to bring contributions, and we suddenly caught a heart of God. I thought, Wow, holiness, that's that's on your agenda, God. Not just a broad church, but a church deep, we've got. And the last, the last thing we find the apostolic doing is emphasising mission. Catching the local church up in mission. Both close to home, coming in and saying, what, what people groups have you not yet reached? What communities, as of yet, are unreached by you, King's Church Hastings? Where is there space for the gospel still to grow? Have you made it as far as Rye yet? Have you touched some of the surrounding villages yet? Do you have a meaningful community in Malvern Way or down in the town centre? King's Church, where are you pushing out with the Gospel? Are you taking faith risks? Are you looking to reach people who, who, if we don't go to them, they will never hear the Gospel? There's no way they're going to come and join us on a Sunday morning. Unless they catch a glimpse of something that God has done in our hearts as we go to them. So the apostolic stirs mission close to home, but it also stirs mission in us around the world. We get caught up in world mission. We get caught up in the fact, actually there are people in far-flung places that need to hear the wonderful news about Jesus Christ. That catch people up like Paul and Helen Norcock to go into the south of France with Barbara White and uh, Lawrence and Christine Stroud. No, and actually, the Gospel needs to reach even into deep, dark south of France where the sun always shines and the red wine flows. Anyway, we don't go there. But he catches us up in mission. We serve a big God. And although there's lots of us here this morning, it's only just a little snippet, isn't it? What, 130,000 people around us? 85% of them would have no contact with Christian or with a church, just wouldn't even think about it. It's the reason we're here. People wouldn't come to know about Jesus Christ. The apostolic stirs that in us catches us up in God's big purpose. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And da 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 da. Now, if you were at the prayer meeting last Sunday night, I shared some news regarding our apostolic cover. The family of churches we're part of, which is called New Frontiers, is actually in a time of transition. Over the last 35 years, it's been headed up by Terry Virgo and and a, a team of men. And what started really, I guess, as one church in Seaford is now 800 churches right around the world, of which about 220 of them are in the UK. Now, I don't think Terry will probably ever retire. I don't think retirement is quite in his mind, but he is looking to hand the leadership over. And he's not looking to hand it over to one person, but he's looking to hand it over to a team of men that he sees with apostolic gifting. So men in South Africa, men in Australia, men in the States, men in uh, Russia and in the UK that's exactly the same. He, 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 he has um, identified a number of men that he sees as men who have got apostolic gifting and he's encouraged us as churches to pray, seek God, discuss and find where we fit into it all. And so after prayer and discussion and meeting, we've decided that we want to walk down a path with um, Dave Holden. Many of you will have heard of him. He's been with Terry from the very beginning. In some ways, he's a bit of a Timothy to a Paul. He's a son to the father. He's, He's been there over the journey. He knows how it works. He's a guy in his 50s. He will also be a great father figure to us as well. And so what we've said is we're going to explore this thing. Because it's not structural, we don't sign on the dotted line and then say we're in, it's a relational thing. And we don't know Dave that well and Dave doesn't know us but we feel it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit that this is the way to go. And so we're going to walk down this path with Dave Holden and sort of see how it ends up, see how it goes. We're excited though. We feel a sense of God's rightness on it, a sense of favour on it and we're looking forward to all God's going to do with us together as we work into all God has got. A date for your diary. Does anyone know what's happening on the 18th of March? Mums? It's Mother's Day. So on the 18th of March, it's Mother's Day. On the 18th of March, we've also got Dave Holden with us. So, I'd love just to encourage you. I know it's Mother's Day. Husbands, after you have made breakfast in bed and done all those things, I want to encourage you to come and join us. He comes and he'll be preaching the word. He also wants to come and join us at prayer meetings, things like that. He wants to get to know us as a church. And so we're looking forward to exploring that. Someone shouted off to my right that it's also baby Thanksgiving. Actually, it's not baby Thanksgiving. We've now moved it to the week before. So baby Thanksgiving is now on the 11th of March, not on the 18th of March, Yes, just anyway, that's just a little thing just for you to know. So we're we're very excited about this. If we're to be all God is calling us to be, we need to have good, biblical, apostolic input that is relationally based. Please, church, let's pray together for this, for God's blessing. As we walk down this path together, I believe it's one of the main reasons we are as we are today is because of the input we've had in the past. And the next 35 years, I wonder what we can become as we work together with men who are called and anointed by God. The second thing I notice from this passage, and I'm going to be much quicker on this one, is the fact that it, is, it says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. This unique relationship between Paul and Timothy is quite key if we're to understand one Timothy well. And I think, I don't want to go into it now because we will pick this up over the coming weeks, really. But I think, I just want to say, as a church, I want us to be a Timothy church. I want us to be a church that, as we're working through Timothy and we find out what he was like, that we would be... Men and women who are shaped by the gospel. That we see we can see the practical, visible change of the gospel that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. That the, the willingness that we see in Timothy will be a willingness that is seen in us. The courage of a Timothy. I mean, Timothy actually was sent back to Ephesus, and Ephesus they'd experienced great persecution. But Timothy was willing to go. There was a courage and a faithfulness in Timothy. That we would be a church that is faithful and courageous as we look to take the gospel out. Not only as a church, but also as individuals. I think God's arranged it I think this is how it works in church life is that we're not we're not an organisation we're we're a family and the relationships God God or Paul describes here aren't sort of structural relationships they're they're family relationships and I, I just want to encourage you if you've never thought this way before I want to encourage you to Seek people out who are over you in the Lord, who are mature. not might not be an age thing. Who you can look to for support, for love, for guidance. Not only to seek advice, but to follow it as well. But maybe for some of you as well who have been around a few more years, you, you're, you know you're convinced of the deep truths of the faith. I want to ask you, who are you? looking out for? Who is it you're discipling? Is there anyone that would call you dad? Or call you mum? In Christ. Because I think as a church, again, if we are to be all that we're called to be, that mix, mix and match of relationships, of fathering and mothering, of looking up with respect, is absolutely key. Finding men and women who are worthy of respect and actually help me with this, help me through on this. I'm, I'm struggling uh, a little bit, maybe with the children in parenting. Finding someone you can, you can engage with and say, Actually, I'm going to open myself up, I'm going to become vulnerable and say, Could you please help me? But also, for those of you who've got years of experience under the belt, and at the moment you're just wasting it. Do you know what I mean? You could, you've got a lot to offer. But it's nearly saying, actually being available, and saying, actually, if I can help you grow in God, if I can help you take the next step on the journey, I'm just going to open my life up to you. I'm going to become vulnerable about some of the struggles I've had in life. I know there's many of you guys who do this so well, but I want to encourage you, seeing that Paul Timothy model. It takes humility, it takes courage, it takes probably a bit of a commitment to get to know each other and spend time together, it won't happen overnight. But I think that's key as well. If you've only just become a Christian, you're just finding out these first first truths in the faith, find someone older you can plug in alongside and spend time with them. Grow in God. Learn to pray with them. Learn to read the Bible together. Learn what it is to start to grapple with some of these truths. Pastoral deacons, can I ask you to stand up, please? If you're in the core team, can I ask you to stand up, please? If you are... Leading a community group, can ask you to stand up, please? Here here are just some of the people that I would love to commend to you. You would do a lot worse than get alongside some of these guys. Actually, that's a very negative way of putting it, isn't it? (laughs) I want to commend them to you as men and women who are worthy of respect. And if you're new in and you're wondering, where where do I plug in? I'd I'd grab one of them for starters. There's also others, many others, but it's quite hard to identify you other than calling you out by name, who I'd also recommend. But start here. If you think, actually, I'd really like an input into my life, come and have a chat with one of them and say, either could you do it or could you recommend someone to me? Thanks, guys. I think this is so, so key. Let's stand and we will just close in prayer. Lord, we we say we always want to be shaped by your word. Lord, we don't want to cherry pick your word, just take the nice bits. Take the bits that, bits that are palatable to us. Lord, we, we read in your word about the apostolic. We read about how key it, it was in New Testament church life for growth, for strength. Lord, we say we we buy into that. Lord, I pray would you bless our friendship with Dave? Lord, as we get to know him and he gets to know us, would you bless us? Lord, I want to thank you for all the input that Matt has given over the years. I pray would you bless him as he, as he works hard in Oxford. I pray would you bless him as they look to see churches multiplied in Birmingham. Would you bless him and do him good? I pray for us here in Hastings. Would you bless us? Lord, we thank you for all you are doing among us, but we we see in your Bible the place of the apostolic, of the evangelist, of the prophet, of the pastor teacher. We say, Lord God, we we want to take it all on board. We don't want to miss out on any of it. Lord, I pray for those who are long in the tooth, who have been around for a long time, who, who have so much to offer. Lord, I pray... I pray, Lord God, that, that for, for a fresh anointing and a fresh confidence to come upon them. I pray for opportunity to be mums and dads in Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are looking to grow in you, newer you in, just looking for so I pray they'd be able to find that motherly figure, that fatherly figure. Lord, I thank you so much for empowering. And all that's going to be looking to achieve over this year as, as, we look to, as they look to grow in God. Would you bless that, I pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we commit these things into your hands. Lord, there is so much to do. So many who have yet to receive the Gospel. I pray you'd build us strong and deep into you and bless us as we reach out, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Excellent. Have a great afternoon. I look forward to seeing uh, many of you at the uh, uh, Unity service this afternoon down in the town centre and see you through the week. Thanks very much.